Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including The Toy Book, The Toy Insider, and The Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week, it is my honor and privilege to come on here and to share these conversations with you about amazing people making amazing things for kids. And today, it's all about the birth of a superhero. In 2016, the award-winning graphic novelist Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez created the superhero La Borinquena as a direct response to the economic crisis affecting the island of Puerto Rico. He was inspired by the Puerto Rican national anthem of the same name. La Borinquena is an original Afro-Puerto Rican character and patriotic symbol presented in a classic superhero story. She draws her powers from Puerto Rican mythology, and we're here to talk all about this new superhero. Edgardo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to talk about um, La Borinquena and, uh, yeah, and the work that we're doing with this character. Super excited. As I have been researching and, and understanding more about what you have developed and created, what keeps coming across to me is the passion that you have for your creation. And I know that's going to come through in this conversation. I'm just super excited to talk to you. Um, but I always start with the same question first. How did you come to be involved in the comic industry? Well, I was, a fir- I was at first uh, a curator. You know, I have a client in New York City um, called the Caribbean Cultural Center that has been in operation for, goodness, probably close to 40 years now. And the Caribbean Cultural Center is an art space that also has a gallery space. And they asked me to curate a few shows. And, and between one of these meetings, um, I was a, an avid reader of this magazine at the time called Wizard. And there was a oh, yes. beautiful profile of um, Joe Quesada, who at the time was the editor-in-chief of Marvel. Um, and he was talking about this new team of, of superheroes that he was going to introduce in his um, miniseries, Daredevil Father. This was a team of superheroes called the Santarians, a, a, a team of superheroes that were dedicated or rather inspired by the Orisha religion, which is a religion based on... Uh, in the Caribbean islands of Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, parts of Brazil, pretty much parts of the, of the world that have been touched by um, African um, culture and heritage. And he created this team as a kind of like an homage to his, to his mother and his own family who are uh, Cuban. Uh, so that was actually my introduction to doing anything in comics because I spoke to my client, Dr. Marta Moreno Vega about this and uh, she reminded me how when she was younger, she loved reading comics, particularly Archie. So she thought it would be a great idea to stage an exhibition on Santarians, Joe Quesada's exib- um, team of superheroes. So I reached out to Marvel, which at the time was a very small company. So you could literally reach out to Marvel and actually get a response from somebody. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there was no mice running around unless it was like typical, you know, New York rodents that were in this building. Um, so 
they responded very quickly and very excitedly. And uh, we had a meeting myself, Dr. Marco Moreno Vega and Joe Quesada. And that would be my first formal introduction into the comic book industry, but not as a writer or illustrator, but rather as a curator. And that would lead to me doing a series of exhibitions with Marvel, um, one celebrating Marvel's 70th anniversary is an exhibition um, I, I curated called Marvelous Color, which was highlighting Marvel's superheroes of African um, descent, everyone from goodness, Black Panther to War Machine to Storm to Luke Cage to Blade, and uh, continue to kind of like establish a name for myself in the industry that really was not um, limited by working for any of these publishers. So by the time I decided to uh, start uh, La Borinquena in 2016, I had experience as a curator. I had to produce a series of graphic novels with um, such celebrities as DMC from Run DMC, uh, John Leguizamo, the award-winning playwright um, and, and, and film actor. Uh, and so that gave me the professional experience to produce and execute uh, an idea in the format of a graphic novel. Now, for the last 20 years, I've been running my own design studio. I'm a creative director um, focusing on graphic design, branding. And so I pretty much saw the work of producing a graphic novel as just another artistic project, a collaborative project. Bring, the, bring together a team of people that are a lot more uh, smarter than me, more talented than me, and kind of like have them work under this vision that I have to produce uh, a product. And you and you did that so quickly. Uh, uh, we'll go back and, and talk about the, the history, but you did that. So you self-published this, the first issue of La Born Kenya in six months. Yeah. Well, what happened was it was around December of 2015 when um, at the time, Governor Padilla of Puerto Rico had announced that Puerto Rico had amassed an, an over $70 billion debt that was not going to be paid off. And this was a debt that was connected to the island's um, pervasive colonial status with the United States, which in 2021 makes 123 years since it's been a colony of the United States. And this kind of relationship with the United States has perpetuated this state of dependency with Puerto Rico and the U.S., but also with banks. So uh, in an effort to try to boost the economy after tax code 936 was repealed in 2007, there were droves of pharmaceutical companies that left Puerto Rico and left the island economically in a spiral, a downward spiral. So there were ideas, well, perhaps we should start selling bonds and maybe that could help us boost the island's economy. But the bonds ended up in the hands of, of real supervillains, like Wall Street vulture hedge funds, right? And, and <laughs> right. they literally owned this debt and the debt started piling up and piling up. And then the governor at the time realized, oh my goodness, we're not going to be able to pay this back. And when I saw this it announced, I was like, no one's really talking about this in mainstream News in, in, in 2015, we were kind of like at the height of comic book superhero culture, video games, films, TV series everywhere, you know, being dominated by these two um, major studios, particularly Marvel and, and DC. And I thought to myself, it wouldn't really be great if someone could just create something artistic that could address these social issues affecting Puerto Rico. But because of the debt, because of the debt crisis, you know, over 300 public schools that closed in Puerto Rico. The public universities were increasing tuition to the point that students couldn't afford to even eat meals because they had to pay for their tuition so that they could finish their um, credits. And hospitals were closing. And there was also a massive brain drain on the island where scientists and chemists were leaving the island because these pharmaceutical companies closed. So I thought to myself, why don't I do it? 
Why am I waiting for somebody to do it? I'm, 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 I'm middle-aged. I have my own studio. I have the resources and the experience. Why don't I just do this? And I also recognize that given the gravity of this crisis affecting Puerto Rico, something needed to be done quickly. And um, following the regular um, publishing um, schedules, or even the whole process, you know, you pitch a story, you wait to hear back, you pitch it again, you wait to hear back. Get, even if it gets greenlit by the publisher, you're looking at anywhere from a two to three, if not even a five-year window before your idea sees publication. And I thought to myself, I have the professional experience working with professional artists. I, I have a, a, an understanding of production value. I'll do it myself. I'll publish it myself. And I, I have, and when I mean production value, I mean everything from digital design to even printing. I know how to talk to printers to get the right of weight out of paper binding. I know how to work with um, software to get the right resolution and the right um, designs um, to make it pretty much the, the, the value that I want. I, I mean, I recall when I first distributed the book, when I first premiered the book in um, Puerto Rico at a Comic Con in December of 2016, young people were coming up to me and were telling me, you know, I don't mean to insult you, but this book, I, at first I thought was published by Marvel. Because of, yes. the, because of the paper quality, because of the production value. And I was like, you know, that's, again, that's not an insult because what it is, is like, it's, it's showing us that we have the potential to make this ourselves. We don't always have to look at the big two for that standard when we can easily create that standard for ourselves. So the, 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 the speed in terms of how this project was created was because I needed to think of something that could bring out this issue quickly through art. And I thought if I can get this through mainstream media outlets, if pop cultural outlets that pretty much talk about artist salaries, actors, you know, um, blockbuster revenue, then perhaps they want to talk about an actual human rights crisis affecting real U.S. citizens. And you immediately address that in the book. Marisol shows up uh, for college classes right. and many of her teachers have been laid off. And immediately right there in her origin story, we're met with this real world crisis. And that is pervasive throughout the entire book. You you constantly are referencing history and real you know, Puerto Rican mythology and uh, it's, it's one of the things that's so compelling about this book is how rooted in reality it is. Talk about that and, and why that choice was made. And what do you hope people are going to take away from becoming involved in reading about this character? You know, I grew up in an era where comics were written by Stan Lee, Chris Claremont, and they invoked so many values into their into their work. You know, I think about the, 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 the prolific work that Chris Claremont did with his um goodness, decades run of Uncanny X-Men. Of course. And, and how that was always a metaphor to deal with intolerance, to deal with bigotry, right? But I thought to myself, we're at a point where we don't need metaphors anymore. We can literal, we can be literal. And I, but I also didn't want to write a story that would have a character page after page just monologuing. I thought, let the environment, let the universe dictate the conditions of the reality that this character and, you know, and, and real people are, are living through. So that scene that you, that you referenced of her trying to um, register for classes was my attempt to really address how universities were being downsized without actually having to have her sit in a classroom and, and, and quote unquote, listen to a professor just monologue about this. It was important to incorporate history and current events because it gave the project and it gave the book a lot more 
urgency. And it also made it something that was increasingly topical because these issues in Puerto Rico continue. And until they're kind of addressed on a larger scale, they will continue. You know, we're living in an era right now that with social media, information is so much more easily um, um, distributed um, and we're able to share um, information, news stories, videos. And I thought to myself, I want to go old school with this comic book. I literally want it not even to be a digital comic book. I want people to literally hold this book in their hand to feel the story, to feel the art, to feel the character, but also to feel a connection. And one of my goals with this was to create a story that would really make people who weren't even Puerto Rican see this as a character that they could relate to. I mean, I grew up loving Peter Parker and Steve Rogers, you know, and I'm not... I'm not Jewish and I'm not uh, a, a blonde, blue-eyed white boy from Brooklyn. You know, I am a character, I'm a Puerto Rican who grew up in New York City, but I still related to the universality of these characters. And that's what I always hoped people would get out of and will continue to get out of La Borinquena. So it was important to even look at comic book formulas. Comic book formulas, by and large, at its core, are inspired by the Bible, are inspired by Greek and Roman, Norse, various forms of European mythologies. And I thought to myself, well, let's look at that formula. Why don't I actually look at the mythologies that exist in Puerto Rico, the heart, the kind of like the spiritual or the deities and the hierarchy that exists in, in, in this on this island. And in doing that, create a character, create a, 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 a power set right for my for my hero that is directly connected not only to the island's history and, and heritage, but also makes it relevant for today because her powers are from the elements. So it automatically connects her to become a contemporary hero and symbol for environmental justice and really address climate change. I mean, there are studies that have been made for decades. There's actually a, a German-based research consortium of scientists that recently put out a study that pretty much said Puerto Rico is, is the focal point of understanding how climate change will affect the rest of the world. And it's true because of where Puerto Rico is located, um, Hurricanes are always developing in, in, in the Caribbean, um, and there's so much that we can study, and, and well, that is studied. So I thought to myself, this is what should be part of the comic book, but done so through the lens of a college student, right? This is not going to be a character that's incredibly seasoned, that comes with years of experience. She's kind of like my version of, I'm, getting, I'm dating myself here, uh, the greatest American hero. You know, uh, a superhero who gets these powers, nice. but doesn't get a man. He loses his manual. Right. So this is her thing. She gets these powers. She doesn't exactly have, you know, um, uh, a minor in, in superheroing. Right. She's kind of like figuring it out as she goes along. And, it, and as you read the series, she's discovering she's getting more and more powers, but they're kind of like appealing to her accidentally. She's not aware that she has these powers. She's not aware that she has these abilities. But it's done, and again, it's done through the lens of a student because she's learning about herself. She's learning about the world. She's learning about everything in life. And, and one of the cool things about being a college student, and I learned this from, from experience, is that, you know, we all grow up, right, understanding and see, viewing the world for the most part through the lenses that are provided to us by our parents. And when those of us have the opportunity to go away to school, that's the first time when we realize that these glasses that they've given us don't really fit that well. And we start seeing things that they never showed us before. We start seeing the world in a way that relates to us and our experience. And that's kind of like how I want to approach her story. And Marisol's story is really important that when people read it, 
it, it it's like an entry point for not only the character but for readers so that they can understand and they can learn about Puerto Rico through her own eyes because she's not born on the island. She may have visited the island throughout her childhood, but she's not from the island. Her heritage is Puerto Rican, but she's still very foreign to Puerto Rico. So she's kind of learning this and she's she has her moments where she has like uh conflicts and we're not talking about, you know, superhero, supervillain conflicts. She's literally having conflicts with all the college students debating about what her role is and who she is living in Puerto Rico or what she is even doing in Puerto Rico. So let's talk about that. I'm really interested in that because so far as I'm reading through, there are no supervillains in this. There's no fighting in the traditional sense, but it's all fighting. She's fighting to make the world a better place. Right. Right. And I want to talk about developing a character like that and and how do you – how do you develop the story arc that's that it's it's frankly it's it's not traditional right it's not hero versus villain it's hero versus the issues yeah i wanted to create a story around a young woman and i recognize from the beginning from the onset that as a man i obviously am very comfortably living in a patriarchal society and i don't actually have to do a story around a woman but Given that I chose to do that, I created a story that was going to be incredibly aware of the of a world that a woman is in. So any relationship that she would be in would define her as a character. Now, those of us that grow up loving comic books and the superhero genre always identify heroes by their rogues gallery. Batman probably has definitively the best rogues gallery, followed by Spider-Man, right? But with her, I thought to myself, it's very, it's very precarious like territory you're walking when you're introducing a character that's a woman, particularly in a woman of, of color. And I thought, I think what's more important is to ground her and to introduce her as a character, as an icon, versus introducing supervillains that she would immediately have to have conflicts with, because then automatically she would be identified as such. Many times people have approached me at events or even on social media, and this is strictly because she's a woman. They're saying, well, where's her boyfriend? When is she going to get into a relationship? Who's her love interest? And I would always respond, you know, would you ask me that question if if it was El Borinqueño, if it was a man? Would you ask me that question? Because men are written in comics and in stories in general as free, independent from relationships, from families, and they can explore the universe and the galaxies, right? And I thought that's what I wanted to have for her. I wanted her to be free from any relationships. I mean, she has her family. She has her grandparents, she has her best friends, she has her parents in, in Brooklyn, but she's not tied to someone that is dependent on her. She doesn't have children, she doesn't have a boyfriend, she doesn't have a husband. So I thought in, in introducing a new character, it was going to be so important that this character wouldn't automatically be defined by any exterior person or a relationship. And the story about Puerto Rico and her, I think, is so powerful. And, and I think one of the things I enjoyed the most about writing her was the second graphic novel because she starts having a conflict with herself and she starts thinking, wait, who is, who am I? Am I Marisol or am I La Borinquena? Cause she starts having kind of like this identity crisis because she's a very much, she's very much an introvert, very much a science student. She's very much a, a, a lover of, of, of issues relating to the, to the environment. But when she becomes La Borinquena, it's kind of like her id, and another version of herself that she's not ever been aware of. So I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to introduce a supervillain, because I was like, there's so much ground to cover in 
just introducing a character. And I also knew that I didn't have the resources to write a comic book and publish it every week or every month. I thought, well, I'll, I'll publish a few of these books when I have the resources to publish it. And let's let's see where it goes and let's see how people respond to it. You know, one of the things that's so striking immediately about the character is her costume. It's got this timeless feel, this this superheroic look, the, the red, white and blue and the, the Puerto Rican flag. But what I learned as I as I researched this is the background behind that. And I want you to talk about that in 1948, it would have been illegal for her to wear her costume, for La and Kenya to wear her costume because of Law 53. Edgardo, talk about that. Well, Law 53, the gag law, or in Spanish, as it was known in Puerto Rico, La Ley de la Mordaza, was a law that was introduced by then-Governor Munoz Marin to persecute those that were of the opposing party. His party was pushing more towards a commonwealth for Puerto Rico and, and establishing a very strong relationship with the United States. The opposing party was really pushing towards autonomy of Puerto Rico. And under this gag law, it was illegal to own a Puerto Rican flag. It was illegal to sing the original version of La Borinquena, which was written by a woman, Lola Rodriguez de Tio. It was, a, it was illegal to gather and even have these conversations, a conversation like you and I are having right now. Um, you would be fined $10,000. Uh, you would be arrested. And thousands and thousands of people were persecuted. Now, the irony of that law is that in his efforts to establish a better relationship with the United States, the United States itself stepped in and said, we have U.S. citizens living in Puerto Rico now. They have unalienable rights. They have the right to gather, to, to, have, to hold uh, assemblies, to they have the freedom of speech. These laws that you are, this law that you're instituting on, your, on, on, on Puerto Ricans who are U.S. citizens is illegal. So he had to overturn and repeal that law years later. But if I had published La Borinquena during the time of that law in Puerto Rico, I would have been arrested. All of my books would have been confiscated. There are images that are, are available online where you would literally see um, um, police officers were ordered to confiscate flags, to, to arrest and line up people who gathered to talk about Puerto Rican independence and Puerto Rican nationalism. So a lot of this was very important. And in terms of her costume design, you know, I was very much inspired by Superman. Superman has been around for over 80 years now. He is definitively the superhero. When we want to role play as superheroes as kids, we tie a towel around our neck to be a hero. Capes are always synonymous with superheroes because of Superman. Now, I understand there have been superheroes way before Superman. I mean, even Zorro has been around for like uh, about 100 years. But Superman has been successfully the super superhero character that has been consistently had stories serialized for 80 years straight. So his costume was an, a direct inspiration for La Borinquena. In fact, having La Borinquena team up with Superman and even having them on the back cover of Reconstruction <laughs> side by side right. was an incredibly amazing and surreal moment, you know. So that costume was inspired by that. I wanted a classic look. I wanted something that really spoke to the the true nature of superhero storytelling, the, uh, the true nature and design of superhero iconography, but also something that really spoke to the island's history, the island's nationalism, the island's uh, patriotism, right? And what's really uh, beautiful about it is that if you don't know the history of Puerto Rico and you just see this as it is, 
it's it still looks also patriotic even as Americans. We look at it and we're like, oh wow, she's a I guess she's a patriotic hero. And you say she actually is. She is a patriotic hero. You know, so people have compared her to Captain America. People have compared her to to Wonder Woman. And it's in essence, she's just a character, just like in her actual stories, that is really just still trying to find her way in the world, in the real world. So good. I just I, I love the passion in your voice as you're talking about this. Um, so let's let's talk about Re- Reconstruction, um, the anthology that you worked on with names like Frank Miller and Rosario Dawson and, and many, many others that were involved in putting that book together. Um, how did that come together? Uh, was it well received? What was it like working with all those folks? It was about a few weeks after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico and the island would be in a blackout for the next nine or eight months after that. I was scheduled to appear at the New York Comic Con here in New York City at the Jacob Javits Center. And honestly, I didn't want to be there. I was too distracted about what was happening or what wasn't happening because nobody could get in touch with anybody on the island. Um, And I found my way to my table, pushing through the the obvious um, Comic Con crowds, but the alley where where my table set was set up, the artist alley, was an incredibly like dense crowd. And I'm pushing through this crowd and there's this line in the middle of the alley of the aisle. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I'm complaining to one of the volunteers at the event. He looks at me incredulously and says, they're here for you. And I look back and there's everyone kind of like waving at me. <laughs> I set up my table. And for the next four days of this event, I'm not a table that's giving people a form of escapism and an outlet for their fandom. I'm literally providing them respite. I'm literally providing them solace. Mm. I'm providing them a sense of hope and comfort. We're hugging, we're crying, we're sharing stories, people I've never met before. And one of these people who was online one of these days was Dan DiDio, former co-publisher of DC Comics. And he comes to my um, table and he starts looking through the pages of my book and he looks at me and he looks at the book and he says, you made this? I mean, like you did this yourself? And I was like, yeah, I, I did. And he's like, this is really good. He's talking about the paper and the production value and everything. And I don't know. I just went right at him. I said, what are we going to do for Puerto Rico? And he kind of like <laughs> takes a pause. And like, well, what, do you, what were you thinking? I was like, I think we should do a crossover book. I think we should do a book. I think La Borinquena should team up with the DC Universe and bring them to Puerto Rico in the first time of, in their collective canon to actually talk about the humanitarian crisis that's happening in Puerto Rico now. And the idea in that moment came to me that I want to create a, a book that centered around reminiscing about the island's rich history and culture, building a story, building stories that pre- presented an idea of what the island's rebuilding would look like and centered the role around the, the word of reconstruction. And I love the word reconstruction because by just kind of changing the, 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 the spelling of the word, I could put Puerto Rican in the word reconstruction right, and immediately right. hit the floor running. I'm in, com- I'm at comic and they're nothing but artists and writers all around me. I talked to um, prolific uh, artists at DC Comics, Tony Daniel, who is also Puerto Rican. I talked to Greg Pak, um, Dennis Cowan, um, Bill Sienkiewicz, all of these artists. I start getting them, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. And what started out as a project that was probably going to be about the same length of one of my graphic novels grew to like 100 pages. Then it grew to 120, 150. Before I knew it, it was surpassing 200 pages. And I was like, I need to like slow this down because I am I need to figure out how we're going to pay to get this book done. We reached an agreement with DC Comics. They give us complete 
complete access to their entire catalog and all of the artists and writers that are exclusive to them. They said, as long as they're willing to work on this project, we give you permission to work with them. And one of them was Frank Miller. And Frank Miller came to us because of Rosario Dawson. And Rosario Dawson was also in one of Frank Miller's movies, Sin City. And he and her were good, the best of friends. And he was pretty much anything I could do for Puerto Rico, anything I could do for you, Rosario. And he did a cover art for her story in the anthology. Her story was just about La Borinquena, but in his artwork, he brings in his version of Wonder Woman and his version of Supergirl. And he creates, he, he kind of like reintroduces this trinity of La Borinquena, Wonder Woman, and Supergirl um, for this beautiful piece of art that he contributes. And the book is incredibly well-received. It becomes the number one bestseller in pre-orders. And it was a number one bestseller for about four months straight. We raised close to $200,000 from the sales of this book way more than we exceeded it would do. And my partner tells me, let's not just write a check to a nonprofit. Now, now my partner, my wife, Kyung John Miranda, has been working with me for close to a decade with our studio. And she had an incredible idea and vision for the money that we raised. She said, what Puerto Rico needs is a sustainable relationship. What they need is sustainable support. And just writing a check it's like giving somebody a Band-Aid when they fall. We need to provide them long-term support. And she established our La Borinquena Grants Program. And annually, for the last three years since we started our program, we've been awarding grants to nonprofits located throughout the island of Puerto Rico. Nonprofits that actually reflect on the Kyung's vision of this um, program reflect La Borinquena, organizations that support um women's health and reproductive rights, uh, environmental justice, preservation and celebration of Afro-Puerto Rican heritage, arts, literacy, programs that work directly with the community, and also nonprofits that are very, very small and wouldn't always necessarily have access to grants and resources here in the United States. And we've awarded $165,000 in grants during the course of our grants program. And it's it positions us in a way that I never expected us to become. I always knew that the comic book and the character would center around advocating and engaging people in a discourse around the decolonization of Puerto Rico, but it grew into becoming a philanthropic movement as well. And it kind of like, it, it really fits because for me, what I've always loved about comic books is that they've always addressed social justice issues. They've always imparted incredibly powerful moral lessons. And I thought, how do those lessons leap off the page and into the real life. And that's when the concept that Kyung introduced of philanthropy really makes sense. So it's like we're the only superhero comic book series that's not only independently published, not only has a protagonist that's a, a woman of African descent from Puerto Rico, but it's also directly linked with philanthropy. Edgardo, now you, you're also involved in uh, music. You've created a song around Labor in Kenya, and I want you to tell us about that because you're using this to leverage even more philanthropic work. Especially during the pandemic, we decided to start a new project, and that actually is the first song that I've ever written. I took a very classic song that had been in uh, a part of Puerto Rican celebrations for, for decades, uh, Que Bonita Bandera, What a Beautiful Flag, and wrote new lyrics to this song. And with the support of DJ Stretch and Bobito and their M19's band, 
we put together our version of this song and it's accompanied by a music video, a vinyl version of the single, and a comic book that really talks about the flag's history. And La Borinquena herself literally flies you through all these historical moments to give you uh, a, an education about the flag, but it's also an opportunity to dance and celebrate with the rhythms that the song itself plays to. That is amazing. And guys, stay tuned after the show. We're going to play that song for you. This is fantastic. Uh, let's talk about the future. 20 years from now, what would you like your readers to take away, continue taking away from Labor and Kenya? Uh, what kind of products, right? Uh, yeah. What kind of products do you want to see? Obviously, we've got to do an action figure line, don't we? Oh, goodness. Uh, I would love to see an action figure <laughs> line. Oh, my God. Our version of legends, leyendas, you know what I mean? Um, yes, I would love to yes. see um, Mattel reach out to us because they would want to do something philanthropic and sustainable in Puerto Rico, and they create a La Borinquena, um Barbie doll. Uh, I would love to see um, toys that are created that – pair La Borinquena with um, wildlife animals that are unique to Puerto Rico, like the leatherback sea turtles or the um, Amazon parrots. I would love to see um, children wearing apparel and wearing costumes to dress up and, and, and look like La, La Borinquena. I mean, what does 20 years from now look like? Jeez, I don't even know what two years from now looks like. <laughs> but I know that it's going to be something incredibly promising and surprising because as I'm talking to you, universities across the United States are teaching my graphic novel, even my alma mater. I, I received hmm. my bachelor's degree from Colgate University, and there are two different professors that are teaching La Borinquena to their undergraduate students. So it, it almost tells me like, well, what would 20 years look like? What would people that studied La Borinquena at the university level What's their interpretation or their shape of what this or their view of what this character will be in, in the future? I just I just hope that the work that we continue to do can, will will inspire others to partner with us to do bigger projects. Um, and when I mean bigger, I mean like the grants. I hope that we continue to do them, but it would be amazing if we could establish a cultural center, if we could establish scholarships, if we could establish. Um, um, visual arts centers, uh, a children's museum inspired by La Borinquena in Puerto Rico would be an amazing dream for me. Um, and then in terms of like media, it would be incredibly powerful to see uh, a live action series um, created for La Borinquena that would really be a project that would, similar to the graphic novel series, help boost the economy of Puerto Rico, like literally create sound stages exclusive for this, for this production and, and hire local talent to, to be a part of this project. The idea of actually producing a series would be powerful because people could then visit Puerto Rico. I mean, people love the Wonder Woman and, and the Black Panther franchises, but you can't visit Wakanda and Temesquira, but you can visit Puerto Rico. So my hope is that our work continues um, and hopefully met that my my own sons, you know, I have a 17 and a five year old. Hopefully they'll be invested enough in this project because this is our family project that they'll find a way either as storytellers, as illustrators, as editors, whatever um, form that they find a way to find themselves still invested in this work that we're doing. What a fantastic vision and passion you have uh just thank you for coming on today sharing your story how can people reach out to you 
get this in their hands, look at these beautiful images, read this beautiful story and, and get involved? Well, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, La Borinquena Comics. Um, we're also on Facebook, La Borinquena. Um, Twitter at La Borinquena underscore GN for graphic novel. But easiest place to reach us is at our website, la-borinquena.com. And there is our store. There you could also purchase all of our books as well as um, some of the merchandise that we're um, self-producing, as well as learn about the grants program that we established and the organizations that we're supporting. Because one of the key things we love to do with our philanthropy is to be transparent. We want people to not only know who we're donating to, but to actually be able, if they're interested, to connect with the organizations that we're supporting. And their, their um, profiles are right there on our website as well. Guys, reach out to Edgardo. Make sure you, uh, you know, tell him you appreciate what he's doing. Get a hold of these books. They are phenomenal. Best of luck in the future, Edgardo. We're going to watch this brand, watch this character very closely, and uh, we expect wonderful, wonderful things. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the time. It's been great. We'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. This show is brought to you by the Power Kid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.